We've done this before. We're going to do it again. This is the Hot Topics edition. There's a lot going on, so let's break it down. Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain presented by the Maritime Professor, me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies, and I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice, and there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So usually we start with our top three stories of the week, <clears throat> but this week, all of our stories are top stories. So let's get into my captain's log and take inventory of the week. Also, I must say that I've joined the COVID club this week. So I apologize for my congested voice. So far, I've been very fortunate. It's honestly, it's I've been very fortunate. It's not that terrible, but the congestion is making me sound worse than I am. But the show must go on. So story number one, <clears throat> CMACGM, one of the major ocean carriers out there, announced an early container return incentive program, which is targeted to increase supply chain fluidity, they say. This is being implemented at the FMS terminal in Los Angeles and all CMA CGM return locations, which include Chicago, Illinois, Dallas, Texas, Kansas City, Kansas, and Memphis, Tennessee. This program was set to begin just a few days ago, May 16th, and will continue until July 15th, with the goal of accelerating the return of empty containers and ensuring U.S. exporters have even greater access to equipment. So the announcement discussed the extreme challenges experienced by the export community and cited a lack of equipment as contributing factor to that pain point. Makes sense. So they wanted to encourage the return of that equipment. So CMA CGM's new 60-day incentive program is projected to result in approximately 43,000 dry containers being put back into circulation within four days of pickup on or after the program began just a few days ago, Monday 16th, uh, May, Monday, May 16th. <laughs> so what exactly is this incentive? So it's a $300 credit per dry container returned to eligible locations during calendar days one through four. So it really is incentivizing that quick turnaround. Look, I'm not so sure here. I, I don't know, maybe. Do you think this program is going to have a measurable impact? I'm hopeful it will. Um, but don't you think if a BCO was able to return their equipment, they would? Um, maybe the expediency factor here is, is the ticket. You know, the one to four days turnaround is the key. A BCO that has goods in a container that otherwise may take a week to turn it around because they have a week. Now, maybe they have an added incentive to grab that box, empty it, and turn it back around. So, so maybe that's the, the market that we're kind of talking about here is that the, they otherwise would have taken five, six, seven days, but instead now they're give, being given this $300 incentive to return it in those first four days. You know, maybe we'll see. Maybe that's where the benefit is here. So story number two, <clears throat> story number two is actually a collection of stories. So the Federal Maritime Commission has a commission meeting, and they, they had their commission meeting this week, and some interesting things were covered and presented. 
So the FMC had four items on their open session agenda. So they had fact-finding 29, the International Ocean Transportation Supply Chain Engagement Study, the assessment of the People's Republic of China's control of container and intermodal chassis manufacturing report, the Vessel Operating Common Carrier VOCC audit program, and fourth, a notice of proposed rulemaking on carrier automotive, automated tariffs. Look, I read over these things that were on the commission's meeting this week, and it made me feel kind of good because I guess I'm on my game because I've actually covered all of these topics, either as a standalone subject in, in my by land and by sea or as one of my top three stories of the week. So if you want any more information other than what we're about to talk about, I'm going to reference you back to some of my previous videos by land and by sea. As always, they live on my YouTube page. So if you'd like to go find the old ones, go over to the YouTube page. So fact-finding 29, we've talked about this before. This is Commissioner Dye's initiative. Um, she's been leading this initiative for quite a while now, just over two years, and has been digging into many different areas. Um, so this has been, like I said, a two-year investigation. And I encourage you to actually go to the FMC's website and look up the documents in fact-finding 29. There's a lot of great information there. So previously, Commissioner Dye had actually made eight recommendations that the commission adopted as part of her fact-finding 29 endeavor. Um, but this time around, the commission, um, Commissioner Dye, rather, uh, proposed a new set of recommendations, 12 new recommendations. They actually haven't been posted yet, um, but when they are, I'm actually likely going to cover them as a standalone topic on this show. So as a reminder, Fact-Finding 29 has included some of the great works that the FMC has done generally, including the Detention to Merge Rulemaking, the ANPRM, the Advanced Notice Proposal Rulemaking, that we've all talked about at length. I'm still waiting to see the next round of that, which will be the notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, you know, it, it's the fact finding 29 has provided greater clarity on attorney's fees and retaliation. Um, it also clarified representative complaints. So essentially explaining that they that the commission considers corporations, partnerships, associations, and public or private organizations to have standing and able to file a complaint. I know that I've gotten questions about that before, who can file the complaint. The FMC, through this fact-finding 29 um, endeavor, clarified that and said corporations, partnerships, associations, I think that that one was the biggest question that I had, trade associations can file on behalf of their members. The um, the recovery might be look a little different um, if it does come from a trade association or one of these other entities, um, but you can still file the complaint, which which is great. Excuse me. Look, Commissioner Dye is a very effective commissioner of the FMC. She's been in the industry for quite a long time and has done the work to really understand the pain points within the industry. She's purposeful and thorough. And I really look forward to seeing and reviewing her newest 12 recommendations in this fact-finding 29 final report. Um, so stay here, stay tuned here to follow along. Like I said, I'm going to cover that as a standalone um, coverage. So the second topic that the commission meeting covered was Commissioner Carl Bensel. We've talked about him before. He does great work with the Maritime Transportation Data Initiative. Um, he released a report that we've also talked about on here. Um, the assessment of the People's Republic of China's control of container and intermodal chassis manufacturing. Um, so he briefed the commission on this report that he released in March. So we've talked about this report before. So some of the questions that I had were, why was this not a full commission report? Why was this only a commissioner released report? And maybe that's the intention of presenting it at the commission meeting uh, this week was to get the full support of the commission and to have it re-released or supported as a full commission document. Um, like I said, I have COVID this week. So I regrettably missed the live commissioner hearing, the commission hearing, and they haven't posted the hearing yet to their YouTube page. 
Side note, yes, the FMC does have a YouTube page. They keep their Maritime Transportation Data Initiative videos there. They keep the National Shipping Advisory Committee meeting videos there. And they also keep their past commission meetings there. It's a great resource. So I haven't had a chance to see, um, well, I haven't had a chance to see the hearing of the meeting, and they haven't posted their their meeting from this week on there yet. But um, if I get any more information on that, I'll, I'll be sure to pass it along. I'm interested to see what the commission does with this report, what happens with this report. Um, remember, in this report, Commissioner Benzel found that production of containers and chassis is dominated by three China-based manufacturers who collectively control almost 90% of the world's supply of both intermodal containers and chassis. So rightfully so, Commissioner Benzel said this is concerning. You know, I don't think anybody is surprised by this finding, but it's always good to help spur conversation by actually having a report that outlines the data and the specifics of the problem. I hope this helps generate a domestic industry for containers and chassis, um, or at least starts the conversation of how we could or move toward um, less reliance on China for these containers and chassis, this key component to the supply chain, you know, or at least diversify the countries who manufacture the containers and chassis. You know, I think that's the problem is we need to move away from 90% of all of these um, critical components of our, of our supply chain are coming from one area and three manufacturers. I think that this report does a great job of highlighting that, like I said, something that people probably already knew. But this does a great report, uh, a great job of, of really bringing it to light. And so I hope that there's more conversations that happen now because of this. The commission meeting also covered VOCC audit program. So this was also discussed in closed session, which is likely where they got into the really good juicy stuff. Uh, but in the open session, it was reported that significant progress was made in helping approximately two dozen carriers of all sizes adopt a list of best practices. And that list was issued in October 2021. Um, this team has also mentioned that they were engaging with 11 ocean carriers on export issues and on their export strategies. So you can see that the VOCC team, audit team, is moving a little bit more toward export. We've seen that kind of as a theme with the FMC recently. They've been really highlighting export. Remember, they are for the benefit of the U.S. exporter, importer, and consumer. So it's kind of a trifecta. They've really been leaning strongly on the export side of things recently. Um, you know, interesting. I, I don't know if that's necessarily, well, it's certainly on purpose, but I don't know if that's necessarily to the detriment of the other two. I think they're still focused on imports and they're still focused on consumers, obviously. But they're moving a little bit more with emphasis on exports. Um, so notably, they said some con companies have comprehensive service programs and view U.S. exports as an attractive business opportunity. But uh, conversely, they also said others provide rudimentary offerings. So they also found non-pandemic related developments, such as the loss of key markets for waste paper and scrap metals, and that that has impeded the ability of U.S. companies to export. They said that they're committed, this, this audit team is committed to continuing this work and identifying the continuing challenges faced by the export-based industries. So the fourth topic that the FMC meeting covered was um, carrier automated tariffs. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the newest rulemaking out of the FMC. This is a notice of proposed rulemaking. So the NPRM, not the ANPRM. This is the stage that we're waiting for with the detention and diverge. This is the notice of proposed rulemaking. So in this phase, they're not asking open-ended questions. They have a little bit more of a targeted direction that they want to go with the rulemaking. And so this was docket 2103. 
And recall, this notice of proposed rulemaking, this NPRM, is soliciting comments on very specific topics, including whether ocean carriers should post their tariffs free of charge on their websites, two, if the definition of co-loading should apply only to less than container loads, and three, if documentation accompanying full container load shipments should be annotated with the names of all non-vessel operating common carriers and VOCCs with the cargo carried in a container. These are some great these are some great conversation starters, some great topics, some some great um, comment soliciting topics from this NPRM, this notice of proposal. Remember, it's docket 21-03. Um, three additional proposed changes in this NPRM. Uh, would be NVOCCs to cross-reference certain aspects of other carriers' terms in the tariff. Two, to clarify the ability of NVOCCs to reflect increases in certain charges passed through by other entities without notice. And three, make other miscellaneous updates and clarifications to 46 CFR Part 520. Excuse me. You know, let's get those comments in here. So despite being published by the FMC on April 29th and submitted with a 30 days comment filing period, we got some extra time here. The Federal Register didn't actually get to publishing the announcement until May 10th. So all of that to say basically that the comment filing period date is June 9th. You have plenty of time. Get those comments in. This was probably almost a 40 day comment period um, in effect. So they, they put it as a 30-day, but the 30-day doesn't start until it actually gets published in the Federal Register. So because of that, you get this extra kind of 10 days. Um, so again, comment filing period ends June 9th. So let's get those comments in. So far, no comments have been submitted according to the document or, or the docket. <coughs> if you want more information on the NPRM rulemaking, check out my video from May 6th. Remember, all of these by land and by sea videos live on my YouTube page. Or you can always reach out to me through my legal company, Squall Strategies. Phew, that was just what happened at the FMC this week. So story number three, <clears throat> this one is just a little juice. You know, not necessarily one to report on hints or dramatize unnecessarily, but this one I think was worth mentioning. So earlier today, so this is breaking news. Earlier today, Peter Tershwell, um, a well-respected maritime journalist for the JOC that's now part of S&P Global, uh, reported that he was hearing that the ILWU, so the International Longshore Warehouse Union, has requested a suspension of negotiations until June. Look, it's May 20th today. He said to recall that both sides recently said talks are scheduled to continue on a daily basis in San Francisco until an agreement has been reached. And remember, they just started about a week ago, maybe just 10 days ago. Hmm. Is there something to be told here? Are talks going to, you know, maybe maybe talks are going so well that they all wanted to take a nice long Memorial Day holiday break. Maybe. <laughs> remember, this is the labor negotiation between the ILWU, the International Longshore uh, Warehouse Union, and the PMA, the Pacific Maritime Association. So their current labor contract doesn't expire until June 30th. But they were, you know, they were getting started mid-May for, what's that, a month and a half of negotiations? I don't know. We covered the historical relationships of the two parties last week in my byland and by sea coverage. They've had a storied history, and they usually don't conclude their negotiations on time. You know, they certainly don't conclude before the current contract expires. 
But let's look at this in a positive light. Maybe this is the year. Maybe they are ticking off so many items of their negotiations list that they figured they had plenty of time to finalize the negotiations before June 30th. Right? Maybe? We'll see. Like I said last week, there's a lot riding on this one and there's a lot of eyes on this one. So if they are taking a break, let's hope it's strategic. Let's hope it has to do with a positive working relationship. Um, let's hope. <laughs> so that's it. Those are the hot topics of the week. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes, it should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, e-learning, and general industry information and insights, come find me at the Maritime Professor. Again, I apologize about my voice. I apologize about the few coughs today. And I apologize for this being a little bit shorter, but COVID club is real. <laughs> if you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you missed any previous videos, these videos live on my YouTube page by Land and by Sea, presented by the Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, check out our website, themaritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, the Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and by Sea. See you next time.